Today on Know the Truth, a lesson from Philip de Corsi. Pride promotes conflict. Proverbs 13, verse 10. By pride comes nothing but strife. Every war was begun with pride as a major factor. Every church split has pride behind it somewhere. Every divorce occurs because pride is involved. The effects of pride are devastating. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Today, Philip discusses the evil of pride, the effects of pride, and finally, the eradication of pride. It's a message from our series on wisdom titled, That Makes Good Sense. And after the message, you'll hear about a timely resource that will teach you how to provide wisdom to your own children as they grow up in this world. You can learn more about it now at ktt.org. Let's join Philip for the conclusion of his message. It's called, The Way Up is Down. J.C. Mahaney, in his wonderful little book, Humility, said that pride is cosmic plagiarism. It's forgetting that God has done all things for us, that in Him we move and we have our being, but we give the impression to ourselves and others, you know what? I did this. Plagiarism, that's taking credit for work that isn't yours to take credit for. That's what pride is. There's three things I want to say about pride as time allows me. First of all, the evil of pride, the effects of pride, and the eradication of pride. I think if you were listening, you've already concluded that pride is seeking to elbow God out of the way. It is prayerlessness. It is thanklessness. It is arrogance and independence. It's, it's an evil, and it sticks to the walls of our heart like mud, and God hates it. And we must hate it. I want to remind you, if you need to be reminded of how evil pride is, this was the sin that made the devil the devil. Do you realize that? Satan was once called Lucifer. He was the highest angel in the order of angelic hosts. According to Ezekiel, he was marked by splendor and beauty. He was wise he was blameless in his ways until God found him one day. And here's what we read in Ezekiel 28, verse 15 and 17, describing the fall of Satan. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. Instead of reflecting God's glory through his beauty and his splendor, he fell in love with himself and he exalted himself above God and he dared to displace and replace God because in Isaiah 14, 13 to 14, here's what we read. This is Satan now. I will ascend to heaven. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's what pride is, a contending for supremacy with God. And when you and I find ourselves conceited and confident you and I are more like Satan at that moment than we are like the Lord Jesus. 
That's the evil of pride. What about the effects of pride? The effects of pride are devastating. <laughs> there are many more, but here's three I want you to think about. We're going to speed through this because I want to get to the last section. But first of all, pride promotes conflict. Pride promotes conflict. It brought about conflict in heaven, didn't it? Between God and, and a third of the angelic host and Satan. Proverbs 13, verse 10. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Did you notice that? The implication of this verse is that every war was begun with pride as a major factor. Every church split has pride behind it somewhere. Every divorce occurs because pride is involved. There are two unyielding personalities that won't surrender their wills to God for the good of God's glory, for the benefit of marriage in a society, and for the good of the children that are about to be hurt. Pride brings nothing but conflict and strife friction and frustration. And that shouldn't surprise us because a proud person is an egotistical spirit. A person who picks fight with others rather than admit wrong, rather than welcome the wisdom that others have to teach. After all, they're unteachable. They're proud. They're conceited. They're an island unto themselves. You see, the person ruled by pride is validated only when others agree with him or her. Disagreement is an affront that must be confronted because of an inflated esteem. Adrian Rogers said, there are no problems too big to solve, only people too small who think they're too big to solve them. Wayne House in his commentary on Proverbs says, and he's on the money here, you see the pride? Approach relationships with a closed mind and an open mouth, two essential ingredients for a fight. That's the proud man, a closed mind. He's a world unto himself, and he opens his mouth to boast a recipe for a fight. Pride promotes conflict. Pride produces covetousness. If you think about pride, the flip side of pride is envy. And according to Proverbs 27, verse 4, who can stand against it? Pride and jealousy are sisters. Proud people, not surprisingly, are jealous people. Listen to James 3, verse 16. James 3, verse 16, and you, you read these words, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and everything are there. Did you see the two things? Envy and self-ambition, self-seeking, pride. Envy and pride, when they're together, every evil thing is present. You see how it works? Listen, pride inflates the ego. A proud person has overestimated their own measurement. But because they have an inflated ego, they think to themselves that they are better than they are. And since they are better, they deserve better. And since they are better, they can't stand the fact that people they perceive to be less deserving than them have more than them. Therefore, they envy, they fight. Because I'll tell you what um, envy is. Envy is pride wounded in competition. 
Remember King Saul? Back in 1 Samuel 18, we read um, of David's exploits against the Philistines. He comes back and some of the women of Israel are there to meet him. And they're singing and dancing. And they say in 1 Samuel 18, verse 7, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can we have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. That's where you get the thought, the evil eye. The green-eyed monster, Saul-eyed David. Saul had an inflated opinion of himself. And since he was better and David less deserving, he was envious of the fact that David had more than he had. Pride is envy. Pride is the ego wounded in competition. Here's the third thought. We could say more about any one of these things. Here are the effects of pride. This is why you and I need to humble ourselves. We need to resist pride because God resists it. Because it promotes conflict, it produces covetousness, and it provokes condemnation. Pride is a narrow ledge by a precipice, and sooner or later, the pride will fall. God will see to it. Pride provokes the judgment of God and the scorn of heaven. Listen to uh, Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. Listen to Proverbs 15, verse 25. This is a staggering verse. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Our text says pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. God has set himself in opposition to the pride, because the pride has set himself in opposition to God, and God will resist him. And in fact, in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, we were told that God opposes the pride. That is an active present tense verb, which means that God has constantly set himself against the pride. And sometimes if you and I feel that life is working against us, it may be God working against us, opposing our pride, our prayerlessness, our thanklessness, our ingratitude, our independence, our self-determination, our using and abusing of His grace. God may humble us physically, financially, whatever, so that He might bring us to a point of repentance and dependence upon Him, because hell is the abode of the pride the unrepentant, the unsubmissive. Those who said to God, not your will, my will be done. Folks, those who stagger down the road of self-promotion eventually meet the roadblock of God's opposition. And God will reward the arrogant with what they fear most, humiliation and disgrace, pride, goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Which brings me to look finally at the eradication of pride. Considering it's deadly and devastating and damning effects, you and I need to work hard at what John Owen calls the mortification of pride, the putting to death of self. Because the way up is down and the way down is up. 
You and I need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God if he is ever to exalt us rather than crush us. We need to take our rightful places before God as supplicants for his mercy and servants to his will. We need to eradicate the pride of face and race and grace and place, says Spurgeon. Now, how can I promote humility in my life? How can you and I cultivate a spirit of lowliness before God? Well, it's all rooted in the fear of God. That's where wisdom always begins. How we understand God, how we see ourselves in the light of who he is, how we come to understand what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Three things quickly. If you and I are going to humble ourselves and work at eradicating pride in our life, first of all, we need to focus on the majesty of God. We need to focus on the majesty of God. You and I will never have a humble heart until we have a high view of God. Listen to Proverbs 9 verse 10. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Folks, a true estimation of ourself, a guarding against inflation, a true estimation of self begins not with contemplating our navel, but with looking into the fierce and holy and majestic face of God. Isn't this what happened to Isaiah when his self-image was shattered in the face of a holy God who was high and lifted up, whose glory filled the temple as a wedding train? A God who was worshipped by adoring angels who covered their faces? John Calvin said this, it is evident that man never attains to a self, true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look to himself. We've got to stop looking in and then looking up. We've got to start looking up and then looking in. Because if we look in and look up, we will create God in our own image. But if we look up through the mirror of Scripture, with the eyes of the Holy Spirit and see God for all that he is, we will see ourselves for the rotting mass of pride that we are. And we will humble ourselves and Jesus will become more precious and the blood more valuable and our union with him more wonderful because he gives to us a righteousness which we do not have and do not deserve. And if I focus on his majesty, it's not hard to be humbled Secondly, I need to focus on the malignancy of sin. Pride is based upon a perceived quality of excellence that sets oneself apart and above the crowd. But there's one way to crush such self-confidence and such self-conceit. It's by focusing on the doctrine of sin. The doctrine of sin, the weight of our fallen nature, crushes that conceit and tramples that pretense. We need to see ourselves as God sees us and as God looks down upon us, made in sin, shaping in iniquity. We are moral lepers from head to toe. We do not have the blotches on our skin, but our hearts are a factory of idols. Our will is a slave to sin. Our minds are shrouded in darkness. According to Romans 3 verse 12, we have become altogether unprofitable. You want to know what your worth is to God apart from Jesus Christ? Nothing. 
Because of sin, you and I have become unprofitable. We do not think thoughts after God. We do not love God with our hearts. Our will is enslaved to that which opposes God. And unless God changes that in our coming to faith through Jesus Christ, we are before him unprofitable. There's nothing to be proud of. In fact, Paul says in Romans 7, verse 18, that no good thing dwells in him. No good thing. We have nothing to be proud of. All we can do before God is to simply repent of our pride. Which brings me to the last thought. We have diagnosed the illness. Now we're going to talk about the medicine. My friend, if I'm going to humble myself, if I'm going to avoid being brought down by God because pride goes before destruction, I need to focus on the majesty of God and I need to focus on the malignancy of my sin nature and then I need to focus on the marvel of His grace and what I have become free of charge in an unmerited way through union with my blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we are unable to save ourselves. We have nothing, absolutely zilch, to commend ourselves to God. In fact, the only thing we contribute to salvation is the thing that made it necessary, sin. And we need to remind ourselves of that fact often, that we are wholly saved by grace alone through Christ alone. In fact, I would suggest to you that if you want to cultivate humility and lowliness of heart in your life, contemplate the doctrine or the doctrines of grace, whatever way you want to put it. You ever think about this? God has so designed salvation that there's no room for human congratulations and boasting. Listen to what we read in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things that are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God did it. God broke you. God made Jesus lovely to you. God brought you to a place where you just simply by faith took the hand, the wounded hand of his son. You have nothing to boast about. You need to join the line with John Newton. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You're not better than someone this morning that's sleeping in with a hangover or slept with their girlfriend. You're here, I hope, because God's grace has drawn you here. And you've come to worship Him in lowliness and humility because you don't deserve the marvel of this relationship that you and I enjoy. Paul said, for by grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It has to be by grace. I don't believe in a theology that says God looked down the tunnel of time and said, hey, you know what? Philip's smart enough to trust me. 
Let's give him salvation. He's wise enough to see what his neighbors have missed. He's smarter than his classroom mates. That's not my theology, friend. I believe that God chose me before the foundation of the world because he just decided to choose me. There is no reason other than that reason because there's nothing in me when we grasp that our salvation from beginning to end is a gift of God's unrequited and unrequired, unobligated, self-determined grace, we are humbled and brought to a place of wonder, love, and praise. Alex Healy, who wrote Roots, that magnificent miniseries on the plight of the African-American slave, it is said that he had a picture in his office of a turtle on the top of a fence post. And when the curious asked him what was the purpose of the picture, he said, well, you know what? I needed to remind myself that I am where I am because of the goodness of others. And so I have that picture because when you see a turtle on a post, you can conclude that that turtle didn't get there by itself. Somebody helped it get to the top of the post. My friend, if I'm going to slay my tendency to take glory to myself, I'm going to look at a post. It's a tree. And on it is the incarnate God crucified for me, dying for me, achieving my salvation and making me part of his family because he chose that for me. The cross slays my pride. When I survey it, and the one who hangs on it, I pour contempt on all my pride. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, that we should boast. Save in the cross of Christ our Lord. Hi, Philip DeCourcy here, back with you to say thanks for your support of Know the Truth. Each week, we strive to bring you clear and convicting Bible teaching on the radio and on the web. And we're turning up the volume on the gospel each and every day to proclaim the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Through the daily Bible teaching on Know the Truth, I want to encourage you to grow closer to God, equip you to serve Him with excellence, and prepare you for a glorious future in heaven. And that's why we have carefully selected some biblical resources for you that you may grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wayne, will you tell him a bit more? Yes, I sure will. This month, Pastor Philip has hand-selected a practical book that goes hand-in-hand with our current series in Proverbs. It's titled, What God Wants Every Dad to Know. And it will encourage and equip fathers to lead their children to live each day faithfully, guided by the wisdom God provides. We also want to invite you to send Philip's encouraging resource, Take Cover, to a friend or family member. Drawing on lessons Pastor Philip learned in law enforcement, it affirms that true security is not the absence of danger, but the presence of God. Just select a friend and we'll send it to them on your behalf. Both resources are yours with a gift of any amount to know the truth. You can call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. 
You can also write to us. If you're able, jot down this address. It's Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And if you're new to Know the Truth or have never reached out to us before, we want to welcome you with a brand new devotional booklet from Pastor Philip. It's called Resting in God's Faithfulness. A copy is yours free when you call 888-644-8811 or visit ktt.org. And one last thing, if you're looking for on-the-go resources, you can download the KTT app or podcast for easy listening, reading, and sharing. Just visit the app or podcast store on your mobile device and search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Well, I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again next time for more timeless wisdom from the book of Proverbs. That will be next time, right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.